Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 275. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of Lend at Fintech. Today's episode is sponsored by Lendit Fintech Latam. The region's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking is going virtual. It's happening online on December 8th and 9th. Pandemic or not, Latam is still the hottest region for fintech in the world. And Lendit Fintech Latam features all the leading players in the region. So join the Latam fintech community online this year where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts and get business done. Lendit Fintech. Lending and banking connected. Sign up today at lendit.com slash LATAM. Today on the show, I am delighted to welcome Ashish Birla. He is the SVP of product at Ripple, and he's also the general manager of RippleNet. He's part of the executive team and uh, was actually one of the first employees at Ripple way back in 2013. I wanted to get Ashish on the show because you know, Ripple is becoming a more and more important part of the fintech ecosystem. I wanted to dig into RippleNet, which we do in, in, in some depth. We talk about what it is, who is using it, uh, how banks are involved and the use cases that are that are prevalent today. You know, we talk about Swift and why RippleNet is, is a better solution than Swift. We delve into XRP and uh, and crypto as an asset class. We also talk about the new line of credit product that uh, Ripple just recently introduced, which I found fascinating. We also talk about some of the hot issues of the day, central bank digital currencies, the growth of DeFi, and much more. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Ashish. Thanks for having me, Peter. Okay, my pleasure. I like to get these things started by giving the listeners some background. You've, uh, I know you've been a Ripple for many, many years, but why don't you give us some of the highlights of, uh, of your career to date? Yeah, so, uh, you know, my story is, uh, you know, I grew up in, in Michigan and, and went to the University of Michigan and studied computer science. Right after I graduated, the internet was taken off and I thought, you know, I need to be part of this movement. Mm-hmm. So I moved to San Francisco because that's where all the action was. And that was a launching pad for my career. The internet's taken off, new software engineer in Silicon Valley, and that was, you know, tremendous. But, you know, I was starting to think about, all right, well, what could be the next internet that can help me take the next, you know, trajectory in my career? And, you know, I, I thought you need to go to business school. So I went to, you know, Wharton to, you know, figure out what was next. And just at that time, the economy was cratering with the 08 crisis. Right. And at that exact same time, Bitcoin was created out of this economic crisis. And I started to learn about it really early. And then when in 2012, I started looking for the, you know, this could be even more impactful than the internet meeting blockchain. And I found uh, Chris Larson at a Bitcoin sort of meetup or uh, conference early days, 2012. And I said, listen, if you ever start a company, uh, Chris Larson's the, you know, the founder of Ripple and founder of, of Prosper. I said, like, if you ever start a company in this space, let me know. And a couple months later, he uh, said to him, I'm starting something in the cryptocurrency space. Why don't you come and, and, and be my head of product? And, and that's how the party got started. And that's how I got into crypto. Uh, and I haven't looked back. I've been at, at Ripple now for uh, over seven years. 
Wow, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, because uh, obviously, long-time listeners know uh, Chris Larson well as as the you know, founder of Prosper, and uh, you know, he's he's he moved on many years ago. And I remember, uh, you know, when he when he moved on from Prosper, and I, I asked him what was next, and he says, oh, "I've got a couple of ideas." And then next thing you know, Ripple was uh, was born. And uh, so maybe we could just take a step back and and maybe why don't you describe Ripple? How do you describe Ripple today? Yeah, so uh, you know, R- Ripple is a company that is building financial technology, and uh, we are reinventing the way that money moves uh, around the the world. It's it's really you know, Chris talked about it the first day I started as the Internet of Value, mm-hmm. meaning Ripple is going to build software to help enable the Internet uh, of Value, and uh, we're doing that because listen, like the way that money moves today. The way that folks lend it today hasn't changed much fundamentally since the 1960s. And, uh, and listen, now, you know, companies are becoming global from day one. Uh, they have different kinds of needs that are different than the 1960s when folks were, you know, not as global. And so, listen, using distributed blockchain technology and uh, new decentralized financial technology, Ripple has been building something called RippleNet. Mm-hmm. which is a peer-to-peer, uh, meaning bank-to-bank or financial institution-to-financial institution network to better enable, we started with moving money, and we'll talk a little bit on this podcast, a little bit about, hey, where we're heading next beyond moving money uh, across borders, which I think is super exciting. Right, right. So maybe, well, let's just dig into RippleNet because I think it's a, you know, it's a super interesting concept. And so, uh, and obviously, there's the way we've moved money around has, uh, you know, has, as you say, hasn't changed much. But how is it different to the existing system? And uh, and who's actually using it right now? Yeah, great, uh, great question. So, you know, the way that money moves today, real quickly, is really 80% of cross-border flows go through three mega banks. That's HSBC, that's Citibank, that's uh, J.P. Morgan, and you trust those banks to move money for you. I mean, it's, it's you know, they, they are the world leaders in, in really trust. And what's, what's interesting about the way that Ripple uh, started creating an alternative is that instead of trusting those financial institutions, why don't we link up smaller financial institutions and, you know, in the future, maybe even corporations directly? And instead of trusting the banks to move money, why don't we trust the blockchain to move money cross borders. And so today, correspondent banks, if you want to move money into Mexico, they actually open an account in Mexico, they preposition pesos, and they move money that way using something called mostly the SWIFT network. Right. But today, you can move digital assets into the country real time, and they get converted into local currency using cryptocurrency exchanges. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we started that journey years ago. We, we launched uh, the cryptocurrency addition to RippleNet about two years ago. Today, MoneyGram is using that product. You know, we have companies like Via Americas uh, in the United States, a, you know, a top five global remitter into Mexico from the U.S., Osmo in, in Europe. Uh, in fact, the traction has been so good that, uh, you know, 10% of U.S. dollar to Mexico, which is the largest corridor in the world for remittances, 10% of that now moves over blockchain technology, digital assets, and RippleNet. 
And wow. so we've made a pretty big dent in that in just a few years after launching. So this is real. People are using it. It's, it's far superior to the, uh, compared to the traditional world where there's tons of excess capital pre-positioned around the world just to facilitate payments, which is crazy. And right. uh, that removes a lot of that because you, now you're trusting a digital asset. You're not trusting these large mega banks to move your money. Right, right. And so, and so what about the, what, what countries are you, are you working in? I mean, is it the whole world now or are you, are you focusing on specific, uh, specific countries? Right, yeah, great question. So like RippleNet enables you to use both uh, fiat only, meaning there's no digital currency or, or cryptocurrency involved. And then in select corridors where we have the infrastructure available, you can use RippleNet and digital assets. And that product is known as ODL. And with the cryptocurrency product, we are, you can send into, I believe, three destinations around the world. Uh, we're expanding that uh, aggressively in, uh, in 2020 and 2021. With the fiat-only RippleNet, uh, you know, we, we are in all the major currencies now. I think we are in 45 different countries, six continents, and we have capa- payout capabilities in, uh, in, in 70 countries. Sorry, 45 countries is where we have uh, customers. Uh, we can actually pay out into 70 countries with RippleNet, you know, all, all together. Right, right. Okay. And then who's actually using it? I mean, I, I imagine you're really, you're not really communicating with the end user, you're communicating with, you're a B2B play, right, for the most part. Yeah, who is, uh, who is using it? What kinds of companies? What kinds of, um, you mentioned MoneyGram, but who, who else is using it? Yeah, so we have, uh, you know, their fintechs or, or payment providers like Osimo, which is a, a leader, the second largest uh, remitter, uh, fintech remitter in, in, in the UK, uh, right behind TransferWise. We have, uh, you know, companies like V Americas, you know, the, you know, they're in the top five for U.S. dollar to Mexico remitters, a large company, very, very innovative uh, based in, in the United States. And then we have, uh, you know, folks that are part of our, our network, like Siam Commercial Bank in Thailand, which is the oldest, largest commercial bank. And they are one of our strongest partners in the region. So, you know, you have a mix. Uh, we also are, are aggressively moving into, uh, you know, companies like, uh, you know, Golance, which is a freelance uh, e-commerce company that has needs to pay out freelancers around the world. And again, there's not a great solution for a company like that until there was something like RippleNet. So, you know, I, I, we, we are really going after underserved companies that are innovating in their space. Right, right. Okay. Okay. And so... When, if you walk into a MoneyGram uh, and you want to send money to Mexico, I mean, you got no idea that this is going over blockchain rails, right? You've just, you, I mean, there's, maybe, what I'm really getting at, maybe you can, if you walk into a MoneyGram, maybe explain exactly how, how it works. You're, 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 you might be a Mexican-American sending money to a family in Mexico. You walk into MoneyGram, you give them $500. What, what happens? Yeah, with the... Uh- with the MoneyGram, you know, cash example, so if you're walking into a retail store, you know, the experience for that customer is not really changing. Right. Uh, because MoneyGram today, they pre-position uh, Mexican pesos, so it, they, they make it appear instant. What we're doing is reducing the cost for MoneyGram. They no longer have to pre-position pesos, which is called float or treasury in, in Mexico anymore, using RippleNet. Instead, they move it in real time. 
So it's sort of like this, this uh, you know, the, in, in the factory industrial space, it's called just in time. Well, money's moving just in time uh, into Mexico, which is a big innovation for, for MoneyGram. Now, where it really comes into play is if, uh, if you look at MoneyGram, their digital growth sort of induced by COVID has been, you know, growing gangbusters. Their stock is up as well. And because it's digital, it, they need real time uh, movement of money. So that's where the efficiencies really come into play. Now right. you can actually move money real time using a mobile app in the United States into Mexico. And again, that's what's given birth to this entire industry from Asimo in the UK, again, enabling digital customers to download something from the app store and get going and send money internationally in a matter of minutes. And I think that's, you know, that's really where uh, we're seeing a lot of growth on, on RippleNet, enabling those kinds of customers and use cases. Right, right, right. And you know, obviously, you know, Swift uh, isn't standing still either. I know that uh, you know, I saw recently that they've, they've got a new initiative designed to speed cross-border payments. I mean, maybe you can tell us why. I mean, if, if Swift gets, if it's just speed, I mean, what's uh, eventually Swift, I imagine, will be able to do real time as well. I mean, what, why is RippleNet better than Swift? Maybe we can just answer that. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, Swift is a, is a consortium. It's, it's, a, it's not a for-profit company like, uh, like Ripple is. Uh, so, you know, number one, we have, you know, our, our DNA is innovation and, and technology. You know, the, the other thing is that Swift is really just messaging. And uh, if you listen to our customers, the problem they have is partially messaging. And that's where RippleNet got started five, six years ago was just the messaging only problem. problem. Mm -hmm. But we then innovated further. We said, okay, now we're linking up all these financial institutions directly without an intermediary in, in, in solving the messaging problem. Let's go and solve that liquidity problem. Swift doesn't solve the liquidity problem. You still move money the old way by these, you know, archaic relationships and pre-positioning money around the world. That's where we started adding in the ODL product. It's called on-demand liquidity, right. leveraging digital assets to move money in real time. And that removes the trillion dollars afloat that's pre-positioned around the world just for cross-border payments. And again, you know, that was the first innovation beyond, you know, messaging now, you know, we'll talk a little bit about lending uh, coming up as well. Again, adding more and more to our arsenal and product suite, you know, lift, leaving Swift behind as the messaging only problem. So, yeah, by the time they upgrade all their banks by 20, you know, 30, um, <laughs> hopefully we'll have, you know, several, you know, additional innovations that we've add, added to our uh, arsenal uh, already. Right, right. Well, let's let's talk about that credit product because that that was really an interesting innovation and what really prompted this whole conversation. You know, you, you've got it. You, you just announced um, last month that you have you know, a, a new line of credit product. Well, who is it for, and how does it work? Yeah. So, uh, well, as we're learning in this journey, you know, we started just talking like you know, good product folks talk to their customers, and we started realizing that our customers use you know, one set of partners for payments. And then I started realizing that, listen, they, they actually get a line of credit from other banking partners. And I'm like, wait, why do you guys need a line of credit? And they, you know, part of it was because by the, their customers want real-time payments, but the money doesn't come in from customers for two to three days a lot of times. 
but the customer wants to send those payments right away as soon as right. they get the app. Mm-hmm. So they're out money for two to three days. And, you know, these, these fast growing fintechs, they don't want to use their venture capital money to, you know, to, to give, to float the two to three days. So they started borrowing from traditional lenders. And what I realized is that these traditional lenders, they're really good at like, you know, giving line of credits to construction companies and, and they're not great at, you know, lending to fintech companies. So I thought, well, Ripple can potentially solve this by not only offering the cross-border payment, but we can also give them a little bit of capital for the two to three days and charge them for it. Mm-hmm. And so we're really, really, I realized like we're really one of the only companies that can do the payment, but also do the line of credit all in one product and all in one experience for our customers. And I thought, well, hey, this is starting with, uh, with just our existing customers. But now I'm realizing that, listen, there's a whole other segment around e-commerce that needs the same exact thing. And if you're talking about Southeast Asia, for example, you know, the U.S. is, you know, they have some options. If you're talking about Southeast Asia, that is growing gangbusters and there's not great credit facilities in that market. Right. And so, you know, you're, you're an expert here as well. So, you know, I think uh, I think. I think I'm realizing the opportunity here is a lot bigger than I, uh, I initially uh, right. thought. Right. I mean, I, then you, you talk about trade finance. Uh, I mean, trade finance is trillions of dollars every year. And uh, you, you know, that's, that's something that I can see you know, something like this happening. So, so are you funding, are you funding these, these lines of credit off your own balance sheet or how are you doing it? Yeah, so the initial product and in, in just to get the experience right, is uh, funding it off of our own balance sheet. And, you know, in the, in the future, you can think about innovations that you're pro- potentially seeing in the uh, decentralized finance space, otherwise known as DeFi, to right. open this up to others to potentially, you know, provide uh, the capital, more of an open marketplace uh, using uh, cryptocurrencies and, and digital assets. And so, yeah, we're starting right now by leveraging our own balance sheet. Let's get that experience right. And then when we scale it, we can potentially offer this to other to other lenders as well. And uh, trade finance, for example, you hit it. I mean, there's all sorts of new trade finance enabled by e-commerce that I didn't even realize. Merchants that want money faster that, you know, to, to go invest in their business. And then the traditional trade financing space as well. And uh, again, we're, we are probably getting a lead or two a day uh, from companies learning about this that uh, that we're trying to figure out, well, is that the right segment to play in? Or is it, you know, should we go into this segment? What region around the world is the most underserved? So you, you definitely definitely hit on something that's uh, top of mind for me. Right, right. And so and then do you give it to anybody? Or do you underwrite these customers to make sure you know, that they're, you know, this is a legitimate transaction? I mean, how are you deciding whether or not to provide this, this line of credit? Right, yeah. I think uh, right now we're, I mean, we are really early uh, days. Uh, We are, you know, the good thing is that we're starting with our customers and uh, we know our customers. We know, you know, we know they've been around for a long time. They have a very strong balance sheet and they also have a good business. So, you know, we feel good about trying to learn by leveraging this almost in the exact same product flow we have today and, and start, you know, building out the risk models. So that you know we can you know go into other segments as as well. But uh, yeah, short answer is you know we're starting with our own customers. We're you know doing a quick uh, risk assessment, and uh, we're taking it slow 
uh, to build up this product expertise uh, in-house. Right, right. Okay. Okay. So I want to, you mentioned DeFi and I want to talk about that because it's seen pretty explosive growth this year. And uh, I think just, you know, beyond your, your line of credit product, I'm just thinking about how you view the DeFi space in general. Obviously, there's, you know, you're talking about you know, lending via smart contracts, you know, like MakerDAOs, I know one of the one of the big ones. How are you and how does how do you personally and how's Ripple viewing the the whole this explosion in the DeFi space this year? Yeah, I mean it's uh this has been something that I've personally been tracking for, you know, two to three years. I you know I you know folks always uh, looked at smart contracts, you know, what, what is this thing going to be good for? I mean, right. why, why do you need smart contracts in the first place? And there are all sorts of like different, you know, use cases very early on, maybe three or four years ago with smart contracts. But this was one lending in, in particular was one I felt like, wow, this makes a lot of sense. Now you can lend to folks uh, without an intermediary. And so I, you know, it started making a lot of sense, you know, real time capital that you can use uh, you know, in a transaction and repay it back in seconds. That's something you can't do with the traditional world that you could potentially do with the DeFi. The problem I think that DeFi needs to solve to really grow is that there really isn't a credit model or an identity model. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is all anonymous at this point. And I feel like, uh, you know, that's why you need this, you know, to, to do to actually borrow, you need to heavy, heavy, heavily over collateralize right. uh, the loan. So, you know, I think that until they figure out a model that, you know, involves identity and risk, you know, it's probably going to have, you know, decent growth, but can't really get to like the kind of global growth for enterprise use cases that I would want to see until that's solved. But I I think that's going to come. I just think that, you know, you're in super, super early, you're almost in the warm up of a game, not even early innings (laughs) uh, in terms of DeFi and, uh, I think it's super exciting. It is going to be a big space, no doubt. I just think that uh, like a lot of things, it's probably going to be a lot longer than folks anticipate to see some mainstream use cases emerge there. But it's fascinating. I've I've been following it for, for a long time. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. So um, I want to talk about XRP, the the Ripple kind of the, the crypto and your views. I mean, I, I, I've been following the space. I, I own a few thousand XRP that I bought back in like 20, I think it was 2016. And I wanted to, you know, obviously crypto, I just saw the Bitcoin's gone over 15,000 today. We're recording this just on November 5th, uh, just to make sure we, we, you know, we, we clarify that. But it's been, I mean, how do you, what's your view about um, the crypto space in general and XRP specifically? Yeah, so I mean, I think what you're starting to see in the crypto space is that uh, at the beginning, you know, when I, when I joined uh, Ripple, there was, you know, only a few of them and everyone was going after the same use cases. Everyone was going after payments, every, you know, and I think what you're seeing now is that hold on, Bitcoin is really not going after payments. Like I don't, I don't see folks really like leveraging Bitcoin after going after payments, but that's, it's actually a pretty innovative alternative to gold. Mm-hmm. And when you see market uncertainty, like you're seeing today with the Fed and other central banks printing money, it could be this like, you know, safe haven uh, like gold was uh, or is today. So, I mean, I think you're seeing that use case emerge there with XRP, the one that digital asset that Ripple leverages for its cross-border f- uh, flows, it was created for payments. 
I think you're seeing it being a very, very conduit to a more efficient global payment system. So I think you're seeing that, you know, that huge space take off for XRP. And then with Ethereum, you're seeing Ether fuel the decentralized finance, a smart contract space. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it's great. I think that, you know, you, you are seeing now use cases and sort of these, these different digital assets specialize. And guess what? Finance is a massive, massive space. So there's room for a lot of them. I think the days that folks believe that there's only going to be Bitcoin, I think are over. I think it's clear that there are going to be a lot of digital assets and there's going to be a lot more, you know, maybe traditional assets that's gonna, that are going to be tokenized as digital assets, which is exciting. You're seeing fiat and stable coins take off as an example of that. But I think you're going to see more and more things in the traditional world represent themselves as tokens on a blockchain, which I think is going to add a lot of efficiency too. So I'm really bullish, obviously, you know, you could have had this podcast maybe a year ago and, you know, you're in the dog days of uh, digital assets where no one cared about, you know, the space anymore. Uh, You're seeing it come back red hot again. Interesting enough. I don't, I don't see the uh, traditional venture capitalists as interested as they were in 2017. Um, But I think it's my mind. I think that's, I couldn't be happier in terms of, the innovation in the space. Right, right. Interesting. So, and speaking of innovation in the space, I want to I want to talk about central bank digital currencies because it seems like there's been a lot of uh, you know, started off I think last year. I mean, really, I think Libra, you know, was really the the thing that kind of kicked off this conversation and uh, now you've got you've got many, I mean, even the US central bank is saying that they're looking at it. You've got, you know, the Chinese central bank have have it in pilot even as we speak, and uh, many others uh, around the world, many other central bankers have said, "Yeah, yeah, we're we're looking at it um, in in you know in, in really you know, developed countries like UK, Canada, etc." So, like, what do you think? That's I mean, it, it feels to me that it's inevitable um, that you know eventually, if you go out long enough, or it's all going to be a digital currency. But love to get uh, to get your get your perspective on it, and particularly what it, what it might mean for Ripple. Yeah, I mean, like you, I've, I've been, you know, uh, you know, looking at uh, CBDCs for, for a long time. You know, what China is doing with CBDCs, and if you're fi- following the Ant Financial poll, you know, we're doing an IPO yeah. and then China saying, <laughs> yes. no, you're not. I think they're related. Yeah. And I think that I think what China wants to do with the CBDCs is that, listen, um, this is going to be how money moves using the RMB. And, uh, and listen, like it's, it's, uh, it, it could be an identity layer. I know where folks are paying. Uh, I know where folks are earning now. So, you know, it's a te- you know, reform taxation. Uh, but it also, could this be a ploy for China to also uh, replace the US dollar as the world's, you know, reserve currency? Mm-hmm. And so I think that China is blazing ahead here. I don't think that they care as much as the rest of the world does about, you know, disrupting the commercial uh, sector. So they are like, you know, Ant Financial being, you know, a classic case. They are blazing ahead with this. I think that everyone else is going to play catch up, to be honest. Uh, I think it's going to take a, you know, you don't have the same sort of centralized function that uh, China does. The interesting thing here is that it has nothing to do with blockchain. If you read, you know, CBDCs with China, they're using a centralized solution. Right. And so that's where I think you can, you know, RippleNet can actually take these local CBDCs and bridge them uh, to make money move more efficiently. 
So I think that it's a very good thing for companies like Ripple. We're already pre, you know, we already positioned well in building out this decentralized network called RippleNet. Now, if we can start linking these domestic CBDCs, we can make it even more efficient. And I think if you look at it right now, one of the hardest things that we have to do is connecting the last mile. How do you get the money to the people that need it in the Philippines? Right. You know, it's still scooters and, and delivery. If you have pawn shops, if you believe it, but if you had CBDCs delivery into your mobile phone, like they're thinking about in China, all of a sudden the last mile, you know, it gets solved. So I think the whole space is pretty fascinating. Let's see uh, if, uh, if China gets off the ground in 2021, like they do. If, if so, it's off to the races, I think, for the rest of the uh, rest of the world. Right, right. And obviously, yeah, China doesn't have as many, uh, you know, they don't really care as much about privacy. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that, which is, I think, one of the big challenges because, you know, cash is completely anonymous. And that's where I think there's going to be resistance. Uh, anyway, it'll be interesting to see how it develops. But uh, I think you nailed to- it. I think you nailed it with the with the cash piece and, and the privacy piece. I think right. that quite, believe, I mean, I think they want to track, which is... Right. Completely different than the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, I, I, a couple more things. We're running out of time, but I want to get to something your CEO said recently, talking about um, moving your your headquarters um, out of this country. You cited, you know, you know, the lack of sort of regulatory innovation. What do you see from your perspective? What what should the regulators be doing in this country that they're not doing? Yeah, so it goes back to that story that I told, you know, at the beginning is like, you know, they nailed it with, you know, not regulating the the internet or give, you know, with the right kind of policies. And as a result, you know, if you look out my window, you know, you can see, you know, Twitter and, and uh, you know, all these companies innovating in the United States because the policy was was a really, really good policy to govern the internet. And with the crypto, with cryptocurrencies, they, they've, they've really taken the, uh, you know, taken sort of a lackadaisical approach. Uh, and not only with cryptocurrencies and blockchain, but also with fintech in general. You know, if you want to get regulated in the United States, you have to go to 50 different states, each, you know, applying. It's $2 million in licensing to become a money transmitter in the United States. So, you know, you raise the bar. Whereas in Singapore or the UK, you know, they've come out with clear digital asset blockchain regulation. They've, they've streamlined uh, how to become a fintech in those countries. I think MAS in, in Singapore is doing a fabulous job with, with both. And so if you want to innovate, you know, they're going to attract companies that want to innovate just like the United States did with the Internet. So it's unfortunate and hence, like, hey, like, you know, Ripple and companies like Ripple that want to innovate in the blockchain space. I'm not so sure. And I think our CEOs also, you know, you know, have said somewhat similar things is that it's super clear how to move forward in the United States. Right. And folks want certainty. And I think uh, that's only natural. So I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, some of the background on, on uh on Brad, our CEO's comments. Right, right. Okay, fair enough. So, uh, so last question. I, I'd love to get your sense on sort of on the vision for Ripple and what's coming down the track. I mean, uh, it's 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 exciting all the different things you're working on, and I could you know it feels like there's so many trends that seem to be kind of coming together that will help uh, Ripple. But what what is your vision? What's what's down the track for you guys? Yeah. So uh, 
you know, I, I think we are going to continue to build out RippleNet. So the more customers, the more partners we have as part of, of RippleNet, that is, you know, the moat. Uh, that is really our, you know, distributing this to all the different folks around the world. I think continuing to do that, we are going to continue to expand ODL on-demand liquidity. I mentioned it's in a few countries as, you know, destinations. We want to get global coverage uh, of that where possible uh, by the regulators. And then, you know, uh, lending is just one example of mm-hmm. other products that we can offer our RippleNet customers uh, that solve real problems for them. And, uh, you know, I think there are other areas as well where, listen, you get lending down, you get payments down, uh, that opens up a lot of other, uh, you know, white space for us to innovate in as well. Uh, one in particular is e-commerce. I think with COVID, you've seen an explosion in growth of e-commerce. I don't think you have the right kind of financial infrastructure to support those kinds of companies. So that's something that I'm really looking forward to in terms of innovating uh, and building for in uh, in the upcoming year. Okay, well, it's uh, really, uh, really super interesting what you guys are doing, Ashish. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Peter, thanks so much uh, for for your time and and, and really great questions. Uh, you can tell you're a, an expert in the space that uh, <laughs> keeps reinventing itself. I think every every four yeah. or five years, which, it is, seems uh, which is great. Okay, thanks. See ya. You know, we didn't talk that much in this interview about blockchain technology, and that was deliberate. I mean, from my perspective, while blockchain had its hype period a, a couple of years ago, it's really now all about what can the technology do. It's 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 really about what is the use case that makes uh, makes life better for a small business or for a consumer. And as you can see in this interview, we you know we we went through several use cases about why having you know, RippleNet is is a better solution than what we have uh, currently today. And I think it's inevitable that we're going to be able to move money around quickly internationally. It's going to be effortless. And it already is, obviously, with uh, with a lot of things that Ripple are doing. But uh, for anyone who thinks that we're going to be we're going to be doing wires here internationally and and, and take a, a day or two to receive that money, if we're going to be we're not going to be doing that at the end of this decade. We're not that we are going to switch during this decade to a much more efficient and much better way of moving money around. And I I happen to think Ripple will be right at the center of that. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lended Fintech Latam. The region's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking is going virtual. It's happening online on December 8th and 9th. Pandemic or not, LATAM is still the hottest region for fintech in the world, and Lendit Fintech LATAM features all the leading players in the region. So join the LATAM fintech community online this year, where you'll meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Lendit Fintech, lending and banking connected. Sign up today at lendit.com slash LATAM.